but what he was able to do was to see how some of the processes and the practices that frankly he had helped set up 20 years before were no longer working in the organization. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to the show. I am so excited today to have a guest that I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from and get a lot from as well. Lisa Fain is the CEO of the Center for Mentoring Excellence and founder of Vista Coaching. She's a former employment attorney on the management side, a certified mediator, and a certified life coach. So she's bringing a lot of wisdom to us today. And specifically, we're talking about her new book, Bridging Differences for Better Mentoring which is filled with practical tools to help mentors and mentees bridge gaps between cultures and build powerful mentoring relationships, something that I think is at the heart of every successful leader and hopefully something that every successful leader is doing. And so, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, this, this concept of mentoring is so vital, and we'll get more into that and into the book. But before we do that, I ask every guest on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, what is your earliest memory of leadership or of being a leader? Such a great question. You know, I can actually remember way back in high school, I was on the mock trial team my senior year of high school. We had a coach who was so gifted and so tough. And I can remember, I'm sort of giggling because I haven't thought about this in really quite a long time, but I can remember her style was for, for those teenage minds, right? It sort of had us defeated a little bit. And I remember sitting with my co-team, my, my, the people who are on my, my mock trial team, and all of us feeling a little bit dejected and thinking about how are we going to turn this around? We had competition coming up. We were a great team, but we were feeling like we got to come out from underneath this coach. And I remember talking to my peers and saying, all right, guys, it's up to us. And I think it was the first time that I remember feeling like a leader. I love that. It's, it was your it's up to us moment. It's up to us moment, right? You just, you know, leadership, leadership without authority is to me one of the best ways to exhibit leadership. And I can remember that really then for the first time. Wow, it's a great example. And yeah, it's at the heart of leadership, right? You saw a need, you saw something that could uh, be better if everyone came together, took mutual responsibility for it. And it always takes a leader to make that happen. And that's why I don't think we will ever outgrow the need for leaders because from wherever they come from, they always do that. They have that spark. What What a fantastic example. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. So the name of the show is Leadership Without Losing Your Soul and ties back into, uh, you know, without sacrificing your humanity and, and things like that. And so one of the questions I'm curious from your perspective and your experience is when you think of leaders losing their soul, what does that look like? What does that mean from, if in your context, your experience? Yeah, I think if leaders lose their soul, they're not tied into why you know, the W-H-Y-Y, and, it, and the, or the why doesn't, doesn't resonate with them. And so often, you know, you see that in the context of environments that aren't fostering inclusion, 
because it's about how do you fit in and how do you soften those edges so that you're, you become the round peg fitting in the round hole instead of whatever um, else you might be. And the times when I have seen leaders lose their soul are leaders who have had to conform or leaders who have not been bought in to whatever it is they're trying to, um, they're trying to achieve. I can remember in one of my work situations, I was working for an organization that was undergoing a lot of change. And uh, there were a lot of closed door meetings at the very, very top. And the next level down um, had to execute on all of these um, initiatives that they didn't fully understand. And they didn't really fully understand what the direction was going to be. And so it was like they were robots. I can remember feeling, you know, like these people don't believe what it is that they want to do. And the ripple effects throughout the organization for those of us who are in, you know, senior levels, but not really leader levels yet, were like, what are we doing here? And it becomes soulless when it's really not tied into purpose. Absolutely. And you, know, you struck two thoughts there. One is that as a leader, just how vital it is that we are always communicating and connecting the why to everything that we are asking and all the discussions that are happening, even if they were a part of those discussions, it's one of those things you can never do too much is to say, Mm -hmm. remember, this is why this matters, why this is important. The other thing that you made me think of is what to do when you're the leader on the receiving end that is getting what's without why Mm -hmm. and how to go about that. You know, I think it's one of those skills that we normally don't learn our first year or two of being a leader, but to be able to ask and say, hey, I want to make sure that we're able to do this to the best effect. Can you help me understand the why behind it so that I make sure we achieve that objective? Yeah, absolutely. And then finding your own why as that leader, right? It's tying into the greater why, the organizational why, but the, what, what drives it from an organizational level might not be what's driving it from an individual level. So I think you're exactly right. Let's inquire and find out what's the meaning and what's, what's the intent behind what we're doing. And then how can I make that resonate with me? And how can I then lead horizontally upwards and horizontally and vertically um, in a way that shows why I care about this as well as why the organization cares about it? Absolutely. So we've got three takeaways there. First, know your own why and tap into that in every circumstance. Mm -hmm. Second, inquire and ask. If you don't have it, ask in a way that isn't threatening or challenging and some people can get defensive. Do that in the diplomatic way. And then third, make sure that you're communicating as a leader the whys. And, you know, that's just such a vital, vital message. So that's a great place to start our conversation. I really appreciate that. Wonderful. Yeah, great question. So let's get into bridging differences. So uh, bridging differences for better mentoring. What prompted you to write this book? Such a great question. So I wrote this book with Lois Zachary, who is, this is her seventh book on mentoring, and she is uh, really the authority on mentoring. I joined her company, the company she founded, Center for Mentoring Excellence, in 2015 after coming from the world of diversity and inclusion. And my own passion has always been on how to create a more inclusive environment. Her passion is on how do you create better mentoring relationships. And the more we work together, the more I realize what the synergy of these two things is. After leading diversity and inclusion, um, I, I really do believe there are three essential things in creating an inclusive environment. One is leaders buying in and, and walking the talk, right? And really understanding what does it mean to be an inclusive environment and why does this matter? The second thing is fundamental training that creates a baseline of understanding. You know, whether it's unconscious bias training or 
racism awareness. It depends, those can have different names, but the creating a baseline of understanding is really important. But what the problem is, is organizations stop at those two things. And those things are not enough. And what I started to see over and over again is when you started to see change, you started to see relationships in the workplace across difference where people were really learning from the differing perspectives and learning from one another. And that's where the book is directed towards. And that's where my own passion is, is how do you create these meaningful relationships so people can understand that difference is an asset. They can understand that difference brings different perspectives. Um, and in mentoring relationships, it's a benefit not just for the mentee, but a benefit for the mentor and for the organization. Are you just, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, as I was, I guess I'll start with, as I was just listening now and reflecting on the book and reading the book, I was thinking about my own career and I was uh, fortunate and grateful to be mentored and coached in different ways by a number of different people who were different cultures from my own. And, you know, there's so many ways of, uh, you know, looking at diversity and inclusion, but I mean, just as practical as we can get, there was an African-American gentleman who just shared so many insights with me um, about both culture and work and and just so many different aspects that I don't know how I possibly would have learned apart Mm -hmm. from that. Yes. So those wins that you're talking about, the win for the mentor and the win for the mentee, let's dive in and talk about that a little bit because, you know, I think everyone kind of recognizes it would be great to have a mentor. I can learn something. And so, you know, that is a little bit more default, although I know you've got a much deeper perspective into that. Let's talk about the benefit to the mentor for a moment. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked about that because really often mentees who are looking for mentorship hold themselves back from asking for what they need for the mentor because they're concerned that they're just being a burden or a drain on the mentor. So it is really important to think about what the benefit is for the mentor. And so many mentors say initially when they start a mentoring relationship, hey, I'm going to do this because it feels good and it's a way to give back. And it is, and it does. But um, it's actually much more than that. And without that continued benefit to the mentor, you sort of fizzle and fail to maintain momentum. So what are some of the benefits? Well, the expanded perspectives is, is a big one. And I want to just give you, tell you a story that might help illustrate that, which is, you know, we, we, in our book, we have three mentoring pairs that are largely fictional, but also largely based on a composite of other thousands of mentors and mentees we talked to. And one of those pairs is Darren and Martin. Darren is actually based on mostly on a real one mentoring, one mentor that we talked to who was a really senior guy in an organization. Um, he'd been working for, you know, 35 some odd years in this organization and actually started in the manufacturing function, which is where his mentee Martin was, but it had been a really long time. And Martin started to tell Darren about some of the stuff that was happening in manufacturing. And, you know, Darren was thinking, wow, there's some processes that might be broken or things that might, that might need changing. And in a loyalty and his relationship with Martin, he didn't step in to change them with a supervisor right away. But what he was able to do was to see how some of the processes and the practices that frankly he had helped set up 20 years before were no longer working in the organization. And he wouldn't have had that perspective unless he talked to Martin. So it really, it gave him visibility into the, into the real world work that was happening in a way that he wouldn't have had. Absolutely. Otherwise. Absolutely. And, you know, because of the, um, this, the power imbalance, if you will, which, you know, Darren wasn't a guy who relied, who felt that he relied on his power, but that's always a reality, whether we acknowledge it as leaders or not. 
you know, there probably wouldn't have been another employee at Martin's level who would have felt comfortable elevating those concerns um, to Darren. And so that perspective and visibility within the organization can be a big benefit. Also, learning, there was a cross-generational learning that happened in that mentoring relationship and happens in many mentoring relationships. You know, as much as we um, all like to think that we understand how various generations think there are, and, and it's all archetypical, right? You may have millennials who think one way and they think the same way as other generations and vice versa, but there, there are archetypical ways that different generations are thinking that it helps mentors who are, you know, usually from, from older generations to really think about and be able to appreciate in a way that's non-judgmental because, you know, so often it's the age old thing, you know, you see it when you watch movies from the, you know, fifties and sixties, seventies, eighties, and now here we are, you know, in 2020 doing the same thing about those kids all think this or what have you, right? over and over again. But the truth is there's value and there's benefit and there's amazing perspective that the new generations, particularly the two generations that are in the workforce now bring, that mentors are seeing, aha, I judge too early here that there's a sense of entitlement or I judge too early that this person wants this, this, and this without earning it. It's, it's just a different perspective that can really enhance a mentor. So those are two things, intergenerational perspectives, perspectives within the organization, um, the other thing that I don't want to gloss over, particularly given that this podcast is about leadership without losing your soul, is over and over and over again, we hear from mentors that mentoring improves their own leadership skills with their own teams because it requires a level of listening, it requires a level of preparation, it requires a level of insight and stepping back and letting the mentee lead a little bit that really enhances mentors' own leadership practices within whatever their day job is. So let's get really practical. Those are some great benefits from the visibility to the personalization of, of different mm -hmm. folks and then the improvement to your own leadership. So to accrue those benefits, we need to be a mentor. Uh, let's, let's start on the mentor side. Mm -hmm. So as a mentor, what are some of the practical approaches that you want to take to be effective, to create a good uh, mentor-mentee relationship uh, and really make it work? Yeah. The first one is really this idea of self-awareness. And, you know, I pointed out and a lot of people, you know, think, oh, that seems self-evident. But the truth is we all skip over this idea of learning how we, own, how we learn as mentors, learning what some of our own, particularly when you're talking about mentoring across difference, this is important. Um, and truly, I believe we're always mentoring across difference, whether we know it or not. So therefore, this is always important, which is how do you learn? What are some of your biases? Um, what are the elements of your own identity that shape how you show up? You know, very often, and, and this is thankfully changing in the workplace, but those of us who are mentors tend to identify, um, you know, with majority groups, and we don't necessarily think about different perspectives. We don't think that our identity shapes us because we don't identify as diverse. And the truth is, we're all, we all have elements of difference, and we all have elements of our identity that shape us, whether it's gender, whether it's race, whether it's, you know area in the country, whether it's your religious beliefs or your birth order or whether you have children or not, don't have children, all of these things shape who we are and how we show up. And as soon as we can identify those in ourselves, we can start to notice the difference in others. I know that that in itself, some people are like, why would we want to notice differences, right? Don't we want to, don't we want to focus on 
commonality. But you know, my own viewpoint is that actually noticing the differences and getting curious about the differences and having conversations about the differences is what adds the richness. We have this idea that we we connect over ways we're similar and you know and we or we say we connect despite our differences. But you know, I I guess my own hope is that we can connect because of our differences and not despite of our differences. Yeah. And that reflection for a mentor and for a mentee um, will really help enhance not just your mentoring relationship, but you know, your working relationships as well. And it occurs to me, there's a sense of self-appreciation. And as you create that self-awareness, it's also appreciation for who you are and those identity elements and all of those things that make you who you are. And so if you're noticing them in yourself, you're able, as you said, to notice them in others. And I think the the next step from there, and I think you were you were hinting at it, but I always like to say no one wants to be tolerated. You know, that we want to be appreciated. And so how do we 100%. learn to appreciate those differences? Well, you do have to start by noticing them and noticing the different experience, and the different perspective and the, the different life story. I mean, there's so many different aspects to that that people bring that are of huge value but we have to come at it from appreciating them and you're that takes noticing them in ourselves and in others is that yeah that's exactly that right? right exactly right in fact the word tolerate is sort of a hot button for me because it does mean put up with right to tolerate means put up to put up put up with despite um, and yeah. it's not it's actually the differences that bring the richness yeah. it's not you know it tolerating them is it's your, you had it spot on a friend of mine, uh, he, he says uh, in conversations around the subject, he said, you know, no one ever got to the end of a great first date and said, you know, I really tolerated you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So you asked about things that a mentor can do. And, the, you know, there's lots, I could go on and on about it. But the one thing I want to make sure to add is this idea, you know, we ask mentors, successful mentors over and over again, what they think the key to success is. And the, the thing that they say the most is, I learned not to solve my mentee's problems. Right? Talk more about Isn't that. Isn't that curious, right? Because yeah. you'd think that the mentee would come in looking for solutions to their problems. But really good mentors, you know, it used to be thought that the role of a mentor was to be this, like, this sage on the stage, right? Somebody who says, you know, David, here are all the things that I've learned in my career. Let me tell you what my path is and you can follow in my path and therefore be the sage old owl that I am as well, right? But in fact, the proper or the most effective role of a mentor is to be the guide on the side, right? So instead of being the authority, to be the facilitator of the mentee's learning. And it's very common for mentors to say, you know what, I know the answer to your problem. Here's what you got to do. Go solve it. You know, go do this and you'll, and you'll solve the problem. Instead of letting, instead of asking questions and listening and letting the mentee explore, because the mentee is not you, the mentor, right? The mentee is his or her own person. And so letting them come to the solutions by asking questions, by sharing your experience, and then saying, well, does this resonate with you? What might be the obstacles to you doing this? How might you do it differently? Instead of saying, here's what I think you should do, is the hardest thing for a mentor and the most rewarding and the biggest predictor of a mentee's durable success. Love that. You know, when, uh, from a, when we teach leadership coaching, we often take that approach of, you know, if, if you're the one doing all the thinking and you're the one going home tired, you're doing it wrong. And it's right. a similar approach to mentoring is uh, how do you ask the questions? You said something I want to call out a little bit and practically how you go about doing it, which is adding your own experience. And there is a difference between saying, 
here's the answer, go do this, which mm-hmm. we're recommending against because the mentee is not developing their thinking from their perspective and bringing their own uh, insights to it. Right. But you still can share, you know, in my experience, I have seen that when A happens, B is usually the consequence. And when D happens, G and H are usually the consequences. A hundred percent. In fact, that's why we want mentors, right? We want, we want people who have had experiences. We want to um, accelerate our own development. Um, and, that's, and mentors add the benefit of their own experience and the benefit of their own wisdom. They be, are a sounding board. Um, they are a safety net at the same time, right? Those two things, a sounding board and a safety net. So it's important to share your own experience, but it's also important as a mentor not to assume that because that was your experience, that that's the best path for the mentee. And talk about a great way to expand your perspective as a mentor is to ask, what else is going on? You know, what might stand in the way? Hey, this is how I did it. Um, here's, what, here's what worked about it. Here's what didn't work about it. How, how could that fit for you? Right. All right. So if you are a listener right now and you're in your car, you need to pull over, rewind about 30 seconds and write down that list of questions because you just got some gold there from from Lisa. So uh, those kinds of questions are so valuable. Uh, You know, if you are in a formal mentor mentee relationship, they're gold. If you are happen to be doing some some leadership coaching, they still work. It's just so valuable to be able to approach those relationships and help people build their own problem-solving skills. Uh, and as Lisa was saying, you're learning, they're learning, everybody's growing together. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, it, it totally is. And you hit on something that I get asked about all the time, David, which is mentoring and coaching. Okay, so what's the difference? And yep. How do they overlap? And you know, there's um, I know this is on audio podcast, but if you picture sort of a Venn diagram, there's a lot of overlap. And it's true that mentors need coaching skills. They need those kind of questions that we just talked about, right? They need to let the um, mentee learn his or herself, right, or their self by um, their own experience. And that's true in coaching too. The difference is really an important difference. And I want to just point it out, which is Coaching is something where the process is led by the coach in the interest of the coach, the coachee, and, and not necessarily always the same process, but you have a toolkit as a coach, right? When people hire me in my coaching capacity and they say, can you help me set a vision? I better come with some tools to help them set a vision, right? That's why they're paying me, right? Or hiring me, whatever. Mm-hmm. But as a mentor, the process is a mentee-driven process. So that's a really important distinction. It so, really is. So, so as a mentor, you want, to, you want the mentee to identify what their goals are, how they want to develop, to bring the situations to you, and then you can use some of those coaching skills to help them. But it's more about drawing on your wisdom and experience as a mentor. As a coach, doesn't, my, my wisdom and my experience doesn't matter as much as my tools. So let's dive a little bit deeper into where you were going in terms of uh, the mentee driving the agenda, bringing mm-hmm. the questions and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious your advice in both what they should be looking for, who they should be, and maybe broadening uh, even the, the range of folks that they're looking for to be a potential mentor. And then also, how do you go about being a good mentee? Because I think that that's important. And I know that where it has worked for me is when I have really taken that role seriously, but I, I'd be curious your perspective on how to do that well. Yeah, those are two great questions. So the first is how do you find a mentor? And 
it is a discovery process and it is um, not the kind of thing you want to rush into. And just because you admire somebody doesn't mean that they would make a good mentor and it doesn't mean that they would make a good mentor for you. So the first thing I tell mentees is figure out what it is you want to learn and then start to do some networking. A, because networking is a really important thing. And B, because networking will start to help you find who the right mentor is for you. But I wouldn't go on my LinkedIn and say, uh, oh, I know David, he's going to be a great mentor. I'm going to call him up and ask him to be my mentor. Instead, what I would do is I would, get to, I would call you up and I would say, let me learn a little bit more about your journey. And then I would do some reflection to see if you're a learning fit for me. So um, it's, it, first of all, it's a good practice anyway. You want to build relationship before you ask somebody to be your mentor. Always. Because it's an investment for them. Yeah, before you um, ask anything, right? Just before about. you ask anything, right? <laughs> you want to build relationship and get to know that person because it is an investment of both mentor and mentee's time. So find out what it is you want to learn. Really use your network to inquire about what the mentoring capacity is and what it is you can learn from somebody um, and whether it's a learning fit. And also, just in terms of real practical, does this person have the time and the willingness and the ability to mentor you? Because that's, it is a commitment and having just lunch or having just coffee is not the way to achieve the kind of development you need as a mentee. Those are two things that mentees uh, should do. Where can you find them? Um, actually, you can find them anywhere you go, the line of Starbucks, right? Um, you can find them through your own working network. You can put the word out to people who you know and respect that you're looking for a mentor to learn X and who might they know? Your industry, industry associations are a great way to um, find people who could be your mentor reading. You know, I have actually um, heard of many mentoring relationships starting with somebody read an article that somebody wrote and they really liked that and they started to reach out and build that relationship as well. So there's lots of places to find your mentor. You asked another question, which is a great one, which is how do you be a good mentee? So there are lots and lots of ways to do it. I would say there's four general categories that mentors are looking for from their mentee. Number one is, are you ready to learn? What does that look like? Lots of different things again, but one way that you can tell somebody's not ready to learn is, yep, I know that, tried that, done that, didn't work. You have to really have this openness to come in and want to learn and expand and have your own assumptions challenged. So that's thing one. Thing two is, are you willing to, be, to step out of your comfort zone? and try new things, and get sometimes some difficult feedback, also really important. Uh, ability to listen. Also, there's some overlap here. So step out of your comfort zone, readiness to learn, openness, and trust. While you're coming up with number four, yeah. uh, you recall the words of a mentor of mine at one point who, when we were sitting down pretty early on, and I think he might have been picking up what you were just talking about, that I was not present with full humility the way mm -hmm. I would I needed to be to benefit from the relationship and he stopped and he said so question David are you here for validation or for education Ooh, what a great mentoring question for me at that moment to go okay wait a minute yeah my pride is getting in the way here it was one of those piercing questions I went oh I am here to learn so you're right let me set those other things aside and have some more humility here yeah, that's a spectacular question. I'm going to use that. Are you here for validation or for education? 100%, right? If you, if you want a pat on the back, there's ways that are way, is way, are way more time effective to just get that pat on the back. Now, that's not to say that mentors 
mentors shouldn't give mentees some encouragement and acknowledgement. Of course. But um, the education piece is really important. The last, the last point is to show up authentically for a mentee. Here's the thing is so often, if we're lucky, we find a mentor who we really admire and we you know, want to emulate in some way, shape, or form. And then we try to be the person that we think our mentor wants us to be. The problem with that is if you do that, your mentor is mentoring an imposter because you, you are not him or her, <laughs> right? You, um, you know, so, so the next challenge to a mentee, and you know, it sounds so, so easy to do and it can actually be quite difficult because you really want to be on your best for your mentor is to have that sense of vulnerability where you're really going to show up authentically with who you are, what your challenges are so that you can learn and you can step out of your comfort zone. And then they're not just building a mini me, you know, you're, you're, we're continuing to benefit from all those differences that you started with. Although I, I want to pull out one thing that you had mentioned, and I'm not sure I heard you correctly. And I think it's a practical concern is you said, when you are looking for a mentor to pay attention to their learning style and a potential fit with your learning style. And is that, is that, did I hear you right? Is that your recommendation that you try to align those? Well, I think a fit is different than the, than, a sim, than the same learning style. There's benefit to partnering with somebody who has a different way of learning, as yeah. long as you call that different out, difference out, right? Because otherwise, you know, if you are motivated by consensus and somebody else is motivated by data, you know, you're not going ha- to understand what that is. So as long as there's a complement there, it doesn't have to be the same one, but it has to, you have to understand what each of them are so that you can have a discussion about them as well. So no, you do not need to look for somebody who has the same style as you. In okay, fact, but I would encourage you in flexing and growing to do it differently. That makes total sense. So it's to, but to definitely have the awareness of both yours and theirs so that you're able to have that on the table and, and have it enrich the conversations. Mm-hmm, 100%. So in the book, uh, you discuss something, and I think it's an element of mentoring that uh, honestly, I had never come across before. And I, and reading, I went, gosh, this is so, on the one hand, obvious, and yet I think it's so often overlooked. And that is, how do you end a mentoring relationship? How do you successfully end that? How do you do it gracefully and then launch into that next phase of whatever it might be, which might be no contact or maybe a friendship or I, 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 there's a range of things. Yeah, Talk to it's us a little a great, bit about that. It, it is an interesting point because I know in my own past I had a mentoring relationship that I just let fizzle. Right, we had sort of we were sort of done. Um, we were just done with what we had to learn. We still were colleagues, and I would see him in the lunchroom, and it would be this awkward, oh, like you know, it just felt funny, right? Um, and so closure is important for lots of reasons. It's important to avoid that awkward, but it's it's important for more important reasons than that. Um, it's important because you, it helps you mark the learning. It helps you figure out what you need in your next mentoring relationship. And it helps you redefine the relationship going forward. So how do you do that? The first thing is to decide for each person, each, both the mentor and the mentee, to decide individually how they want to continue and then have a discussion about it. What are the options? Keep it, continue as is, as mentoring pair. End the relationship or continue in a different way, Right. Maybe, you know, we're, we're done as mentor and mentee, but now I'd like to come to you occasionally as an advisor. Or maybe um, we want to do some peer mentoring. Or maybe we want to flip it up. And now I'm, now as your mentee, I want to mentor you on something too, which is, can be really interesting. So, so the redefining is really important. So the first thing is to figure out what you want 
and then obviously to have a discussion about it, but celebrate the learning, which is why it's so important to have goals and milestones along the way because you can see where you came. Celebrate the learning, express some appreciation. Well, and I just, I want to camp out on that for just a minute. Yeah. It is, I have made it a, a habit of mine to try to say thank you to anybody who enriches my life in a meaningful way as a mentor or if they've been a coach or, or even just a good piece of advice I got in an airplane, any, anything at all, but mm-hmm. to say thank you in a, in a very sincere, meaningful way, whatever that looks like for you and the, their personality and whatnot is just so huge. And I've had other people recommend me as a mentee based on the quality of the thank you. It's one of those things not to overlook. So I, as I heard you saying, I just want to make sure we yeah. call that out. Say thank you in, in, a, in a real way. Yeah. And say thank you and acknowledge what you're thanking them for. Absolutely. Right? I mean, you know, hey, thanks for your time. That, that's nice. No, here's the difference it, it made. Here's the difference it made. Here's what I learned from you. Thank you for that nugget. You know, thank you for being so open with me. I know you shared things with me that you wouldn't normally share with a team. And it just was the first time in the workplace that somebody really trusted me with something like that. That made a big difference. Right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be the what, but it can also be the how that you're thanking for. And that's really important as well. So um, I'm glad you point that out. And how many times have you gotten a meaningful thank you? It just sticks with you. I mean, it just, it's really something that's really important. So um, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you camped on that one. So the appreciation, sharing what you learned, and then talking about how you're going to continue. And if you're going to continue, I, I also want to say, we talk about it as closure, but it's important to have this conversation even if you're planning on continuing because it marks the end of a mentoring cycle. Um, you know, we talk a lot, both in the book and in our work at the center on the mentoring cycle. There's a preparation phase, there's a readiness phase, there's a goal setting um, phase, and all of that begins again at the end of a mentoring year. Even if you're going to continue to have a, co- a closure conversation, which is about looking back and moving forward, is really critical in making the most of the mentoring. And I think that's true of just about every relationship. I mean, every every set of relationships we have go through different seasons. And whether you're talking about the seasons of a team that forms and then, you know, and grows and then reaches a certain level of maturity and, and to have those conversations. And it's no different for a mentoring relationship, uh, even if it's going to continue. I think there's so much brilliance there. So if you're a mentor or a mentee and, and you're in a relationship or you're thinking about it for the future, to pay attention to what you do with it, how you wrap it up, how you say thank you, how you acknowledge it, and then acknowledge where it's going next, whatever that's going to be, and to have that conversation. Uh, a powerful tip there, Lisa. Thank you. My pleasure. So where can people find Bridging Differences for Better Mentoring? Where can they find the book? Where can they find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Great. You can find out about me and the work I'm doing and the book at centerformentoring.com, C-E-N-T-E-R, and then the word for is spelled out F-O-R, mentoring.com. The book is actually available for pre-order now on um, Amazon. And I know uh, when this comes out, it probably will be out. So, you, you know, with a Prime membership, it can be yours and in your, at your door within a day. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, also available from, your, from any, anywhere you get your books. And there's an audio version as well for those of you who are listening in your car um, or when you walk the dog. Or Quite likely people opinion. listening to this like to listen to books too. So yeah. get, your, get your audio copy. Fantastic. Yeah. Lisa, thank you so much. Any, any final thoughts as you think about mentoring, particularly on the notion of, of bridging the differences and bridging the gaps? You know, I, as somebody who works both in the diversity and inclusion world and the mentoring world, I get asked all the time, what are some practical tips to make a difference in, to make an inclusive workplace? And 
you know, to me, having a mentor and having a mentoring relationship with somebody who's different from you, and it's important in your personal life as well, but the beauty of the workplace is you get put with people who you, whose paths you wouldn't ordinarily cross in your personal life. So to have one of those relationships in the workplace is the way to start to be the change, right? Because you are starting to model relating across difference. You're starting to expand your perspectives and you're really walking the talk of inclusion. So I think my best tip is to say, if you don't have a mentoring relationship at work with somebody who's different from you, go seek that out. And you cannot get any more practical than that. Do what Lisa said and you are on your way to being the leader you want your boss to be. Lisa, thanks again for being with us and sharing all those insights. David, thanks so much. It was great to talk to you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.